Morning, everybody. It's Tuesday morning in London town. Guilty. I don't think there was ever any doubt in anybody's mind that he would be... F- I mean, who else? There was a, it, it wasn't the children. They didn't, uh, they didn't get the, the drugs. And uh, I think it was proven that Michael Jackson wouldn't really have been able to administer propofil to himself because within a few seconds he'd have been out. I don't know how you keep going. And also, you then would have found a needle in his bot, wouldn't you? I mean, it's, there's all sorts of anomalies. Um, the end result is they're keeping him in custody and then they will sentence him, I think, at the end of November. And he could get up to four years. Doesn't seem very much to me. Michael Jackson dead. Admittedly, Michael Jackson addicted, like Elvis Presley, like so many other people in that business, to all sorts of prescription drugs. The difference is Michael Jackson only appeared to have the one physician, and that was Conrad Murray. Uh, Elvis Presley had about five or six and so he could get different... Uh, unlike this country, well, I'm assuming unlike this country, I might be speaking uh, out of turn here, I assume that you can, you're only on the system once, unless you're using about half a dozen different aliases, in which case uh, I should imagine you could probably get half a dozen prescriptions going on. But uh, in Michael Jackson's case, I think he was paying something like £96,000 a month to Conrad Murray, which actually is not, is not bad at all. It's like, you know, a million dollars a year... And all you've got to do is get prescriptions. You think at some point the chemist will go, are you sure you want another batch of this stuff? You've had low. If I, I mean, over here, I have a chemist. And uh, every so often, every, every, periodically, the doctor's surgery will go through people's prescriptions. And if they think they're going to take you off stuff, they'll take you off it. And the chemist will, and it will say, you know, pop in either for a chat or failing that. The chemist will say they, they, they've reduced these tablets here or they've taken you off that. I then go into a minor crisis. Because I go, well, I need that. I need it. If you remember, I used to be on warfarin, the blood thinner, after I had the stents. And then they went to take me off it. And I was convinced that my blood thickened up overnight, which, of course, it does. It thickens up quite quickly. And, uh, and so I started getting pain again. So they put me back on it. Then they obviously decided it's far too expensive <laughs> to give it to some, somebody else, pardon me. So, they, uh, so they, they, they took me off it and then they reduced another tablet. And that's it. Because, so everybody keeps an eye on it. Obviously, in America, they hand this stuff out willy-nilly. I mean, I don't know how the system operates. I'm assuming Michael Jackson pays a huge amount of money because they don't have an NHS system like we do here. So it's far, far more difficult to, uh, to just book yourself into a hospital. First thing they say is, you've got medical insurance. If you haven't, they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're absolutely not going to do anything to you. You have to have medical insurance. That's why it's so difficult. It's a big, big divide between the haves and the have-nots. You get ill in America, chances are you can die. Over here, we've got the NHS, and that's why people fly in here and go, oh, I think I'm about to have a baby. Oh, I think I'll go and get that done for free, because in my country, we have to pay for it, so we, we, we put up with it. I suggest that the NHS has given a big kick up the rear end, and we start charging these people. Of course we'll, we'll do your baby. Do you have a credit card? No. Well, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And you then charge the airport that let them get on whilst they were pregnant. Simple as that. No messing around with it, but we're such a soft touch. Such a soft touch. Uh, so he, he's found guilty. What would he go to prison for? Probably two years. Everybody very happy in the Michael Jackson family, I should imagine. We've spoken to uh, various members, and we'll do that a little bit later on on the programme. I'm sure you've got your your thoughts on it as well. I mean, I should imagine Conrad Murray is, uh, is as horrified as anybody else who's been found guilty. Chances are he'll be struck off, but I believe only for a period of time. So, I mean, he will be free to practice again in a few years. Not that it makes any difference. You've been earning a million dollars a year. I mean, who cares? That's what they're like. I think when Elvis Presley died, the bathroom was full of prescription drugs. And bearing in mind, they can get ten times the amount of stuff that we get over here. 
You know, stuff here that uh, that you buy on, on prescription here, there is over the counter. I love the chemists in America. I love the the disp- they're all on the street corners. You go in there, you go, bloody buy this stuff over the counter. I remember something, somebody telling me a short while ago that uh, that you can get Ventolin inhalers for those people who suffer from asthma. Here, they're on prescription. Over in France, buy them over the counter. So if you trek around the world, you can probably find these things. I remember when they made Tenuate Dospan illegal, or as most people prefer to call it the business, speed. And Tenuate Dospan was so you could lose weight. And you took a tablet, and, uh, and, then, and then the weight fell off. Well, it didn't necessarily fall off. It just meant you didn't eat as much. And there can't be many people who did nightclubs or pop singing or anything like that, or people who stayed up late working cities who hadn't done Tenuate Dospan at some point. After Tenuate Dospan became illegal... Ionamin was prescribed. It did exactly the same thing, it just it wasn't as powerful. And so people who were addicted to Tenuate Dospan would rush around the country trying to find people with old supplies so that you could have it because you became addicted to it and it became known as a, as a slimming tablet. You took that and, uh, and you didn't eat as much. But, you know, unfortunately you didn't feel as good afterwards. All sorts of strange things. Um, Dan says, should be asleep, but wide awake. Hope you're well. And if the rumours are true, looking forward to seeing you at the Twickenham light switch on, our last in Twickenham before the big move, 25th of November. Actually, I'll tell you what, what they have got. They, they've got carols around the tree. Uh, they've got the Nella Hall Band coming down. I'm so excited about the Nella Hall Band. It's a, it's, it's a really fantastic band at Nella Hall, just up the road. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be marching in front of them to go and turn the lights on. Never marched in front of a band in my life. I tell a lie, actually, I have done the New Year's Day parade. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I love, 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 love a professional band. And Nella Hall doesn't get any better. They've got a roaming Father Christmas. They've got all sorts of things in Church Street. And it's 5.30, but there's stuff going on for most of the afternoon. All sorts of great things. I'll run through it a little bit later for you. So I look forward to seeing you then, Dan. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it doesn't rain. And then apparently uh, me, Paul Cooper, and a few other people are going to retire to, uh, to a pub. <laughs> Count our blessings. Uh, right, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, let's, because you know by now, because you've heard it all night on LBC, you know that Conrad Murray, Michael Jackson's doctor, guilty of killing him. You now know everything that you need to know about propofil. You probably didn't know anything before. We'll have a chat to John Warrington if we can get hold of him in Fort... We're not sure if he's going to be awake at this time. He's in Fort Lauderdale, and he sent me a thing saying, I'm in Fort Lauderdale, because I'd like to know, really, what the, uh, what, what the coverage is... Uh, in in Fort Lauderdale, whether or not all the American television stations are full of it. I suspect they are. I'm with Christo on uh, Denise Welsh, my story. I couldn't care less. I really couldn't care less. It's terrible, isn't it? But, you know, who is she? Answer is she's nobody. She's just a woman who's pictured drunk in the papers. And so, of course, now depression drove me to the brink. Everybody suffers from depression. At some point in your life, if you live in London or you've had a bereavement or you've lost your job or, you know, there's been an upset in your life which upsets the apple cart, you're going to get depressed. So everybody gets it. You know, some people it gets a little bit further and they get clinical depression, so they drink and, they, and then the, the drink makes it worse. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, Denise Welsh is nobody. You know, in the firmament of acting, she's way down the scale. In the firmament of me, 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 she's way up the scale. I suppose that's what I'm assuming. It's an autobiography. I can't think of any other reason. It's like Cheryl Cole is in all the papers today. Why I had to put weight on after my scare. This was donkeys years ago. And she's still trotting out that old thing. The reason she had to put weight on is because she's not working at the moment. So I'm going back to Newcastle. 
uh, to have Christmas up there, she said, to anybody who'll listen. She'd done this interview. It doesn't tell you anything at all. She didn't talk about Ashley Cole. And who's interested in her life? She was fired in America from the X Factor, and that was the last time she ever did a stroke of work. So she's sitting at home, twiddling her thumbs. Will I Am is the one who apparently is, uh, is looking after her. And she says, illness changed me. It's not all work now, but chill, chill... Sound like Kevin Maguire. But chill, chill, chill. And so so that's it. Now she's had all the fake hair taken out. She looks just quite ordinary, I'm afraid. But she's got one of those pinched-in waists. And so she's done a photo shoot, and that's the best she can get. Can't get a gig for love nor money. And the reason being, to be brutally frank about it, where what would you do with, with Cheryl Cole? What would you give her as a job? I mean, she can't do anything. She's not a great singer, put it that way. She can do a good mime. But um, she obviously hasn't kept up with the singing, because that's gone by the wayside, unless she's secretly recorded an album, a little bit like uh, Susan Boyle. She's mad as a brush, quite mad. I watched the documentary, I said yesterday, and, um, and they've obviously edited it so carefully before she goes off on one and starts dancing around lifting her skirts up. Uh, frankly appalling, TV watchdogs launched a probe into the X Factor after viewers complained about Frankie Cocosa's on-screen boozing and sweat. Who cares? He's just a silly little girl's blouse. You know, he's... Oh, I did an interview yesterday with Mylene Klass, and uh, she she doesn't have a problem with him at all. In fact, actually, she'd had a cup of coffee yesterday. She was a bit too feisty. She was a bit too feisty yesterday. She was very... very even she admitted she was feisty. But we had a nice chat. And uh, she said, why not? She said, it's his only opportunity. And I said, yeah, but the problem is, this is his one shot at trying to make something of himself, because he has no discernible talent. He cannot sing. He cannot dance. But he gets headlines because he, he picks up all these, let's just call them those sort of girls, who quite happily will trot back to somebody's hotel room at the drop of... I bet their th- parents are thrilled. You're going back with him, what for? And they calls into the chemist to pick up condoms. God, dear. It's almost like, you know you're not going back for a rich tea biscuit. You know, you're going back there to be a nut- another notch on this saddo's bedpost. And, and that's it. He can't sing. He looks atrocious. You know, if ever there was a case of, frankly, my dear, you look like a mess... It's this one. How do you look like Frankie Cocosa? Answer, jump in a puddle and be pulled backwards through a hedge. And that's what you end up looking like. And it's just, it's not good enough, I'm afraid. It's not good enough. We need to up the ante. And if we up the ante, get rid. Simple as that. Quarter past five. These are the headlines. Michael Jackson's doctor, Conrad Murray, has been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Murray showed no emotion when the verdict came in last night. He was handcuffed and led away. He sentenced him four weeks' time. He could get four years behind bars. The Home Secretary faces further questions from MPs later over relaxed border controls at UK ports during the summer. Theresa May claimed yesterday key checks against a Home Office database were scrapped by the UK border agency without ministerial approval. And it turns out the News of the World used private investigators to spy on two top lawyers. One was looking after the family of murdered schoolgirl, Millie Dowler. Let's have a check on the uh, state of the roads for you this morning. Down in the LBC 97.3 Travel Centre, Jay Louise. Thank you very much, Steve. Well, not a bad start at all. Motorways, main route's fairly clear. Morning, every early breakfast. Nice to have your company. To have your company nice, it's tonight. 11.28, YU55 gets nearer to Earth. You know what it is? It's an asteroid. It's an asteroid. And this one is a quarter of a mile wide. Now, it might not sound too big to you, but this is the closest an asteroid has come in a long, long while. It's going to be closer than the moon, and it will be visible with medium telescopes at about 11.28. It's going to have the closest scrape with Earth. It's 201,700 miles away. 
but you should better see it with a medium-sized telescope. And I know that all the excited folk out there who are into asteroids will be looking at it as it goes past, hoping that it doesn't come out of orbit, because if it does, it could take out the whole of London. Or failing that, Gravesend. And, uh, you know, or perhaps we, we could will it into certain places. Brentwood's very popular at this moment in time. So there's all these places it, it could... I mean, it, 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 if, it, if it came down, they, they say it's an asteroid this size which took out the dinosaurs. But, of course, they didn't have the benefit of LBC 97.3 to tell them to run like heck and start running now because this thing's coming through the outer atmosphere really, really fast. So it's going to go round about 11.28 tonight and it will be visible. So that's good news. Uh, Junior in Glasgow... Uh, says, uh, you're talking about implements in patients. Uh, my Uncle Tony had the wrong foot amputated 17 years ago. He suffered from diabetes. And the right foot became uh, full of gangrene. That's what happens to a lot of diabetics. They end up losing toes or whole feet or whole legs. And, anyway, they amputated the wrong one. And uh, he had to go back into theatre and have the right one amputated. But they couldn't put on the other one. What they do with these old limbs, I've got no idea. Perhaps there's a ward full of them or something. Anyway, he now gets about with two prosthetic feet and crutches, drives and plays golf. There was a court case, hospital found to be grossly negligent. And so what they do now is they come round and mark the limb, the offending limb, with indelible marker. And even then they have to double-check with the patient and the nursing staff. So thank you for that one. It does happen all the time. It's, people are always amazed when I sort of say, if you're a diabetic, that there is a chance that you could lose a toe or a foot or a whole leg. And depending on how far up the body it, it moves, you know, there was a famous rugby player who was on the front of our magazine about uh, six months to a year ago, and his uh, foot became infected. By the time they got round to it, it had spread beyond the knee, and he died as a result. I know it seems terribly hard, just through diabetes. Just through diabetes. But uh, it can happen. 84850, uk. Uh, Paul in Harlson is 39 to date, not a card in sight. Well, unless your postman's delivering at 21 minutes past five in the morning, which I think is fairly unlikely, there's no chance. I mean, I, I, I can honestly predict there probably won't be any cards at all today, Paul. Not one. Not one. I mean, at least around here it's great. If, if you celebrate your birthday, then generally it goes in the book and then somebody comes around and they sort of sign a card for you. And they give it, I, I tend to keep it fairly quiet. When you get to my age, you don't want to tell anybody about your birthdays at all. I'm not remotely interested. They go, oh, look, a cake with candles. I'm like two miles away. Because you can't get near the blooming thing. Uh, Steve, Cheryl, what's her name? She'll go back to that uh, Geordie estate where she belongs and hopefully we'll never have to set eyes on her again. I suppose she's trying to drum up interest. I can't blame her for drumming up interest. But to be honest with you, it's all a bit tenuous, isn't it, now? So she's after this illness when she had malaria, whatever it was. But that was years ago. Years and years ago. It's like the, the Daily Star, the best that they can actually manage today is that Jordan and Peter, New Jungle Rumble, an exclusive by Emma Wall in Australia. There's no exclusive about it. Nobody gives us flying forex about poor old Jordan, who, as I say, if you look at the picture of the Daily Star today, has aged. I mean, in this one, she looked quite quite sort of fresh-faced. He looked slightly peculiar, but there again, he's always looked slightly peculiar. And uh, Still singing that ghastly insania song, and yet laughingly calls himself a pop star. But uh, apparently, uh, the bosses wanted the couple to rejoin the hit show. No, they didn't. They're not remotely interested. Who's interested? She's got a failure on her hands with the other... I talked to Mylene Class about that one, too. In fact, strange enough, we both seem to watch the same sort of shows <clears throat> and yet both admit that we shouldn't really be watching them because they're absolutely terrible. In America, they couldn't care less, Steve. As long as you have money, they don't have an emotional connection to each other like we do. Oh, I think over here we, we have money and emotional connections. 
I think so. I mean, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. Makes no difference to me. I'm just grateful for the conversation. So, well, I couldn't care less whether they've got money or not. Whether they've got manners. Manners, of course, are fine if you don't have manners. I mean, I remember some so-called nurse phoning me years ago. A vile piece of work. I mean, really disgusting. Really disgusting. You think, God, and they let you in a hospital. Not very good. Oh, my Lord above. What the dickens is that? Jane Holmes. Oh, dear Jane. What have you done to yourself, love? Anyway, she knows a thing about breakups. Because fans were in tears when Westlife announced they were uh, splitting up. But Jane... Jane Holmes is 44. She's covered in Westlife tattoos. She's got them up her legs, up her arms. In fact, she's got them just about everywhere. Her skin has become a shrine to the chart toppers. Oh, my God. Oh, boys, don't open the paper today. Daily Mirror, page 31. And it's got a picture of it. She's 44. She spent £30,000 following them around the country. So you probably enjoyed their appearance when they were on the, uh, the dancing programme on Saturday. She's a pub cleaner. How does a pub cleaner uh, spend £30,000? Well, how much are they paying you, love? Good grief. And uh, she says um, uh, she, she, she's actually um, ditched her second husband because he said, listen, ultimatum, choose Westlife or me. And she chose Westlife. And so, end of story. So she's now without. She split with Norman after a year of marriage. Not had a holiday for seven years because all her cash goes on Westlife. Oh, lovely. I think the tattoos are taking it a bit too far, really. It's a little bit naff. I mean, tattoos are the best. It's all right if you're appearing on the Jeremy Kyle show and you're a bit low life, but, you know, normal people don't have them. And don't cite David Beckham, because he looks awful. The tattoos look dreadful. Uh, I see here Frank Tomney, twin sons Francis and Thomas Tomney, and nephew Brian Tomney, um, have been jailed for, uh, for tarmacking pensioners. At one point, they uh, used a milk carton instead of sealant on a driveway. And they charge one pensioner £31,000 for dodgy paving. They come from Cleveland in Lancashire. They've been caught after they boasted about it because they're a bit thick on YouTube. And now they're, uh, they're spending five and a half years each in prison, which is good news. Not much tarmacking in there, boys. But, you know, you know, I'm sure you can make an effort. Perhaps you could paint the cells for them at a discount price. Victim Brian Smith, who's 80, says, I feel such a fool and my wife is very upset. These people really are the low life. They're the scum of the earth. They go round... And, uh, and they cheat pensioners. Mainly, they cheat pensioners. And, in fact, there are ways of cheating pensioners. I read a book on it a short while ago, written by a traveller, of how they learn how to cheat pet because pensioners are the easiest ones to cheat. They'll actually come round and go, you're right, love, you're right. Well, they don't do it like that. That's just me doing an accent, you know. It doesn't have to be anybody's accent. And they go, uh, you know, do that there. We've had a look at your chimney. There's a couple of uh, things loose up there. So by the time they've been up there, that's like a £1,000. And people think they need it doing... Don't ever go by anybody who comes knock, knock, knocking on your door and goes, you need that doing. And you don't ever have your drive done. You go through Yellow Page and you find a proper firm. I'm always doubtful about any lorry that I pass, generally flatbed lorry, which only has a telephone number on it. Never seems to have an address of where you can find them. Mainly because even they're not sure where they're going to be half the time. Uh, Soren says, I live in Ypres, which was known as World War One. Tommy's as Ips. Is it Ips, I think? And, uh, unfortunately, we've had a number of poppy collection tins stolen. It would appear not to be visiting Brits, as only the Euros were stolen. Happens here. Happens here. Makes, makes me just feel so physically ill. During the 90th anniversary of the armistice, we had a large number of the poppy appeal boxes stolen on the 11th of all days. People are disgusting. People will steal anything. Here, they steal. I mean, even the, the pubs 
have to almost have them chained to the bar because somebody will nick it. Because it's got maybe 40 or 50 or 100 pounds in there or something like that. It, it is, it's, it just, it's just the most awful thing. Don't, don't start me on things like that this morning. It'll put me in a very bad mood for the rest of the day. I can't believe that low life. I mean, I would hang them. I'm sorry, I wouldn't have any hesitation whatsoever. They'd be taken out there. There's a, there's a bloke in the paper today. He used his house for recruiting uh, people for uh, for Al Qaeda, and um, and uh, the uh, the government's trying to get the house taken away and sold so they can get the money back and all the rest of it because he's been found guilty. And the family who live in it, his 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 family said, "What about our human rights?" I thought, "What about the scum that was living with you recruiting people for Al Qaeda? Are you stupid? Make your own way in life. Make your own way. We want it back." Talking of getting it back, there's a rumour that Colleen Rooney <laughs> doesn't actually do anything. Poor soul, he's pregnant again. Oh, lovely. So apart from uh, Wayne Kai, sorry, Kai, Kai Wayne, isn't it, I think, uh, who's their uh, little son, who they've paraded in all the pictures, and, and Wayne, <laughs> with his funny little hair stuck on his head, um, she's, uh, she's stopped drinking alcohol, and uh, they reckon, believe, she'll have a, another little baby to go with the one they've got at the moment around May of next year. Good Lord. Woman has baby. Unbelievable. Uh, Justin Bieber. God, the fans were out yesterday, weren't they, for Justin Bieber? Down at Westlife. Yeah. A lot of girls took the day off school. They were the sort of girls who would take the day off school. And uh, one of them said, well, I, I don't care. She said, loads of people have done it. Doesn't make it right, though, does it? And so he did that. And then they flew him by helicopter to the other Westfield. I'd love to know what they paid him. What do you reckon? 100,000 quid? 100,000? The trouble is, you see, I don't think it was very cost-effective. Because normally, if, if, if you have somebody like Justin Bieber turning on the Christmas lights, that's great. But all the people who follow him are little kids. They haven't got any money to shop in Westfield. They're not going to start going around there going, OK, let's spend £1,000 today. So you've got to find somebody who's, who appeals to adults. I'm doing the Twickenham lights. You know, I mean, that's, that's how it works. You know, the sort of people who are going to come down and watch me turn on the Twickenham lights might spend some money in Twickenham. But if you get 12-year-old girls coming in there and 10-year-old girls, they're not, they're not going to buy anything because they can't afford anything. It's all very peculiar, isn't it, really? 84850, steve at uk. There's a picture of two little girls in the paper today, except one of them isn't a little girl. It's the other little girl's mummy. But she's anorexic and she can fit into her seven-year-old's dresses. And so you've got a picture of mummy... Wearing just very odd makeup. That's all I'll describe it as. I'll have to show Holly. She might agree with me or disagree with me. And then you've got the little girl who's nearly as big as her, but Mummy's anorexic, and so she weighs practically nothing. Oh dear! It's a terrible picture. It's LBC ninety-seven point three. It's five thirty. Morning, everybody. Twenty-eight minutes to uh, six. TV mysteries uh, unsolved this week. Will Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield ever let us in on the joke? Because every time the camera comes back, they go... <clears throat> you think, what, what was it? It's fake. That's what they do. They go, OK, come back to you in three, two... <clears throat> Hello. You know, they do it on radio as well. You go, ha, 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 welcome back. And it's that, that's how it goes. Uh, why doesn't Darren Brown do anything useful with his hypnotic powers? And at what point does Channel 5 tell housemates... Nobody's watching Big Brother. It's all a bit sad. Even the Daily Star don't bother with it anymore. They've hardly bothered because uh, nobody cares. They're they're all going to walk out of the house to find the usual bunch of seals outside and sheep clapping because they want to be on the television. They don't know who any of the people are who walk out of the house. And and the truth of the matter is not even the people in the house know who they are, which is all very worrying. Uh, and, And why did the BBC and ITN News celebrate the anniversary of Sir Alex Ferguson leaving Aberdeen? 25 wasted years, says Ali Ross. But he does talk about the X Factor. And again, he said it was on this weekend. So having tuned in, fully expecting the worst, I was pleasantly surprised 
The singing was pretty good. The judging panel had a certain sly charm. Its choreography was uh, on a Berlin 1933 theme and very funny, and even the resident girl band bumped into a few harmonies. Sadly, as is the way with these things, the US credits then rolled, and it was time for the British version to start on ITV1. And dear, oh dear, oh dear. It was so bad. Panic stations now, the X Factor's default setting. There are just five weeks to go until one of them falls over the winning line. And thanks mainly to Louis Walsh, we've reached the ridiculous comparison stage of the competition. This is where Louis trots out his usual, you know, like you really nailed it. And I'm convinced he has a set of cue cards under the desk that he's reading. Misha, you remind me of a young Eartha Kitt. What, because she's black? I mean, she doesn't sound like Eartha Kitt, she doesn't look like Eartha Kitt... She's fatter than Eartha Kitt. I mean, come on. How could she remind you of Eartha Kitt? Don't be so silly. There's a little bit of Bruno Mars, Jackie Wilson and Little Richard in Marcus. Not at the precise moment I was watching, let me tell you. Although perhaps later, who knows. We could be in Ronnie Scott's listening to a world-famous jazz singer. We could, but sadly, we were listening to Janet Devlin singing that unforgettable Jackson 5 song... I want you back. Yes, I do. Uh, to um and ah, with your love is la la la, and so it goes on. I know means the worst moment of dance floor fillers, which of course was inevitably provided by the ever ballooning Frankie Cocosa, who, through a bewildering lack of talent, has firmly established himself as this year's Wagner-style novelty act and my own choice to win. It won't happen, obviously. Right from the word go, X Factor 2011 had the potential to stiff. But the momentum everybody has helped generate really has turned it into one of the year's more impressive disasters. I mean, you have to laugh, or you have to have a heart of stone not to laugh, I suppose, at Gary Barlow's suggestion that Johnny Robinson's dead or alive turn was making a mockery of the show, since it's done such a good job of that itself. As for the positives, there are none. There is hardly anything to unify the show, apart, of course, from the Louis Walsh issue. Everybody has agreed he's got to go. Everybody. Ask the fans, ask everybody. It's now reached the stage where he doesn't even know anything about pop. And it was highlighted. And I sat there in disbelief and watched, I think it's probably on YouTube, where he was introduced to, to Lisa. Who? I know, that's what we were saying at the same time. And, uh, and she was in, according to Louis, the N-dubs, as opposed to N-dubs. I mean, he really knew that little about pop music. And then when she said about Dappy, and Louis went, who's Dappy? I thought, oh, you've got to go. You've got to go now. Put somebody in there. I mean, Gary Barlow's nice. We're seeing a lot of nice, you know, outfits. Uh, but it, it's, it, it isn't, it's not rocket science. It isn't really a singing programme. As Mylene Class will tell us on In Conversation coming up very shortly on LBC 97.3. It's, it ceased being a singing competition years ago. They're not interested. They're more interested in, in the sort of coverage it gets in the newspaper. The Sun's bizarre column. The only way is Essex star Mark Wright is in talks to develop his own TV show. With the voices in his own head, right? Because uh, poor, poor Mark Wright and his deluded family. I mean, God knows. I mean, the worst epitome of anything on television that you've ever seen. Mark deluded Wright, the only man who is as fat as that and wears a baseball cap on backwards. That's for 12-year-olds. Not somebody over the age of 90. Don't be silly and wear a baseball cap backwards. It doesn't look nice. Makes you look like a plank. It's not your fault, I realise. Paul Shirley says, I had both knees replaced a couple of years ago. On each occasion, a nurse marked the appropriate knee with a marker pen. Despite that, as I was being wheeled into theatre, I was asked which knee it was. 
And I was going under, as I was going under the anaesthetic, I found myself saying, it's the right one or it's the left one. When I came round, I was asking which one they'd done. They must have loved me. That's the trouble. As you go under the anaesthetic, you start rambling, don't you? And then you wake up and you think, have they done it? I had this dreadful craving after, um, after an operation some years ago for Marmite sandwiches. I had to have Marmite sandwiches. So they said, what would you like, Stephen? They talked you through this haze. Because when you go in there for the anaesthetic, and I didn't like, I had it done privately. I remember it was a Nuffield nursing home. And I had this private operation of the life of me. I cannot remember what it was. I think it might have been a, a growth or something. Anyway, whatever it was. And, uh, and they filled the syringe with what looked like Vaseline to me. Because you always look, don't you? Because you try and look to allay your fears of how terrified you are. And, and so he filled this thing and he said, OK, Steve, we'll just and put the needle in. You always go, huh. When it first goes in, it's all right when it's, when it's in, I'm fine. It's that, that first initial thing. And um, he said, just count to ten. And all I thought was, how stupid, how long's that going to take? One. Gone. I was out for the count. I never even made it to three, apparently. So when you come round again and they go, Steve, come on, wake up. I sometimes used to keep my eyes closed just to frighten them a little bit, you know. Not going to wake up. Did it in the dentist once. They gave me a an injection, which was supposed to just make you sort of a little bit drowsy. I just closed my eyes and went to sleep, I'm afraid. I hate the dentist. And um, so when I came round from the operation in the Nuffield Nursing Home, she said, Stephen, you all right? What would you like? And my parents were there, you know, obviously hoping I was not going to come back round again, you know, another mouth to feed in the family. And uh, so I thought, Marmite sandwich. I just found, I don't know why, we had Marmite sandwiches. So they brought them in, and so I had the first bite of a Marmite sandwich, and what, what happened? Violently ill because it, it reacts with the uh, with the anaesthetic. It's all good stuff, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I do like hospitals, but they, they do terrify the life out of me. They absolutely terrify the life out of me. Um, Muhammad Ali has said he's praying for his cancer-stricken former rival, Smokin' Joe Frazier, and, uh, because he's been uh, diagnosed with liver cancer a month ago. He's in a hospice, and, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't look good, but they're making him as comfortable as they can. Uh, he's died, has he? Oh, it's come through. He's just died. Oh, my God. He's just died of liver cancer, age 67. God, blimey, look at that. Honestly, you read it one minute in the in the newspapers saying that they're... Look, and he's just died. That news has just come through at, uh, at 20 to 6 this morning. Joe Frazier has died of liver cancer at the age of 67. Oh, my God, I tell you, it's all going on this morning, isn't it? And just started the blooming programme and things have started happening. What with, uh, with Conrad Murray and now Joe Frazier... Boxing fans around the world will be saying a, a silent prayer for him. Uh, Jazz says, my alarm went off an hour early. I'm all dressed and ready to work, but I don't start till 7.30. But the silver lining is I get to listen to all of your show. You see? That's good, isn't it? I mean, I actually woke up this morning and I started watching on the television that airline programme, which is, you know, about how wonderful the staff are at EasyJet. Not. I've never met such rude people in Liverpool. I mean, you know, I know if you turn up late, but they're just, they're so dismissive, some of them. And one of them, he was, he was a, an officious little man. Not, not the normal one we see on there, but sort of an older type man who went away, he had a heart thing, and then he came back again. And, uh, and they all do the same thing. Don't shout and swear at me. And he, and he stormed off. He, he didn't have any customer relations at all. Whereas when I had an argument with, uh, with somebody over the telephone, I think it was a bank, it was some, whatever it was, and the woman played it beautifully, she said to me, I know exactly how you feel, she said, because the same thing happened to me, which immediately calmed me down. Because I thought, oh, she understands. Well, of course, she probably didn't understand at all. It was just her way of doing it. Because the moment you swear at anybody is the moment they, uh, they actually put, put the phone down on you. And, which is even more frustrating, I'm afraid. Very, very frustrating. 
Uh, Trevor says, my, uh, my granddad had a foot amputated. Doctor said, uh, when he came in, that the op went well. And that's some good news and bad news. The bad news was they'd amputated the wrong foot. The good news was that the other one was getting better. It's an old one, isn't it? It's like, you know, terribly sorry, Dr. Couch, bed. Terribly sorry, Steve, we've had to amputate both your feet. Oh, yeah, and the good news is the bloke in the next bed's going to take your slippers. You know, it's that kind of mentality, isn't it? To now you. And uh, C says, my grandmother had diabetes. What can I do to stop myself getting it? I don't think you can do anything. I don't think you can do anything. I mean, put it this way, unless you're a vastly overweight... Uh, if you've not got it by now, you're probably not going to get it. There is a chance it could... I mean, mine, mine developed later in life, but I think that was probably uh, sort of overweight. And it's it's all the usual things. It's all the usual things. You know, don't... You know, do do take exercise, don't eat too much sugary food. But uh, if, if you haven't got it by now, unless you are overweight, there's very little chance you're going to get the thing. So the, uh, the news you're waking up to, which we only just got a minute ago, that Joe Frazier's died, age 67, just as the, uh, the papers, who, of course, didn't know that when they went to, went to print yesterday, was sort of saying that uh, lots of people are, are wishing him well. I did say, though, didn't I? Isn't it strange? I was just saying, it don't, the, the prospects don't look very good. And then, lo and behold, it comes up that he's, uh, he's just died. Um, Dr Conrad Murray's been found guilty of killing the King of Pop. Another one of these people in the business who was addicted to all sorts of drugs. Elvis Presley had drugs for getting up, going to bed, going to the toilet, everywhere. You know, they didn't know where they were half the time because there were so many, so many calls on their time. Same for Judy Garland. Judy Garland had drugs. I think during some of her films, she was so high as a kite because they, the studio could not afford... You'll never find anybody who'll admit to these things, but it features in lots of books. The studio couldn't afford to close down the studio if the star fell ill. So they, 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 they would pump them full of stuff to keep them going. Because it, the moment the star of a film went, uh, I'm going to have a few, few days in bed, they go, you're joking. We've got, you know, three, four hundred people out here. We've got film. This is costing a fortune. Nope, we keep you going. I remember it used to be said in Theatreland in this country that if Michael Crawford, uh, you know, ever took time off, it'd be a miracle. If you were Michael Crawford's understudy, you very rarely got to go on because Michael Crawford would pump himself full of things to keep him going by the side of the stage. I think he had flu at one time when he was doing Phantom and he was being pumped full of vitamins to keep him going because he, he refused to let people down. He was, he was that dedicated to the business. I'm a bit like that here, you know, a couple of sort of Hallib orange tablets, you know, and, a, and a something else. And then somebody was talking earlier on about uh, cancer and they were given steroids. Uh, because we were talking about the Michael Jackson situation and all the, the drugs that people are on. And uh, my mum went on steroids uh, for her secondary cancer, and she thought she was getting better. It, it puts you in this euphoric state. You have no idea that you're really as ill as you are, because it, it just boosts you up. You feel fantastic, and then eventually, you know, the more, the more morphine they keep pumping into you, the, uh, the worse things uh, actually get. Uh, bit of a surprise, Lindsay Lohan, the most ludicrous jail sentence ever. She went to prison on Sunday night in Los Angeles to begin a 30-day incarceration for breaking the terms of her probation, and then came out four and a half hours later. So she goes in, comes out four and a half hours later. It's thought she was released because of overcrowding at the facility. <laughs> the 25-year-old is still to complete a community service order by working at the county morgue or face 270 days in jail. She's reportedly told friends her latest experience was a wake-up call, despite not spending long enough in the cell even to receive a wake-up call. And you remember, of course, she was going to go to prison anyway, and they, they postponed it so she could do uh, taking her clothes off for Playboy magazine. 
they have this balmy system in America, so at the end of the day, you'll probably find that Conrad Murray go, goes to prison for about three hours, and then they'll let him out again, and he'll carry on practising. But uh, he is the main talking point this morning on LBC 97.3. These are the headlines. Michael Jackson's doctor could be jailed after he was convicted over the singer's death. Dr Conrad Murray administered a fatal overdose of an anaesthetic that killed Jackson in June 2009. He's been convicted of involuntary manslaughter. It's emerged the news of the world spied on two lawyers who were representing victims of phone hacking. The paper hired a private investigator to track Mark Lewis the solicitor for Millie Dowler's family, and Charlotte Harris, whose clients include football agent Sky Andrew. Finally, the former world heavyweight champion Joe Frazier has died aged 67. He died at his home in Philadelphia after a battle with liver cancer. Let's have a check on the roads for you this morning. Get you there nice and quick at the LBC 97.3 travel desk. It's Jay Louise. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Another wet start this morning, although it doesn't seem to be causing... Morning, everybody. It's nice to be company. It's LBC 97.3. It's early breakfast with Steve Allen. Uh, Noreen's counting the days for the mermaid. Who isn't? And uh, Paul says, it just struck me last night while sat watching a video, yes, same as you, I still have some, that Frankie's new look, this is in The X Factor, isn't new at all. Southern Television developed it in 1979 when they did John Pertwee's makeup for Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> Yes. Do you know, to be honest with you, I knew I'd seen that look somewhere before. And he says, I'm awaiting the next chapter of Peter Andre's latest show with interest. If only to see if he got the part in the musical and flout the rules yet again of Harvey not appearing on the show, although long shots would be included in the band for some reason. Mind you, I must admit, he said, it would be great to see Katie and Peter in the jungle again. The only thing they've not done yet is to get another TV series each. Yeah, so well, her, her sort of uh, popularity is fading a little bit, I'm afraid. Uh, Nick Ferrari, this morning from seven, will be bringing you all the day's top stories. Uh, the possible security risk of relaxing the border controls. The Shadow Immigration Minister, Chris Bryant, will be talking about that. Also discussing the use of rubber bullets in a protest. And Nick will be speaking to a former Met Police Assistant Commissioner about the potential risks. And he'll be bringing you the latest reactions from Los Angeles in the light of the Michael Jackson trial verdict. It said, if, if nothing else, we now know the doctor, we know everything about the doctor we can possibly need to know, and we now know about propofil, which, frankly, before this case, I'd never even heard of. Whether it's something that we use over here, I don't know. Rachel Jane, deputy editor of the Sunday Express, will be looking at the, uh, the papers. And uh, on the Jackson trial verdict, the family have said nothing. They said nothing after the uh, case at all, so hopefully there'll be a statement a little bit later on today from them. With these... Uh, days that we now have of the of the internet and Facebook and Twitter, we're all supposed to have hundreds and hundreds of friends. And I've lost track of the amount of people who said, oh, I've got 460 friends. You know, I've got 5,000-something people following me on Twitter, and I've got this Facebook page and that Facebook page, and there's thousands and thousands of people. But apparently, when it actually comes down to it, you've got two friends. That's all you've got. They say, at the end of the day, you've probably got two friends. Because I, it, it used to amaze me Somebody came into LBC a short while ago and he said, I've got 400 friends on Facebook. I went, they're not friends. They're just people that you send something out to and they sort of pick up because it, it self-perpetuates, doesn't it? You sit there and, and you read and then somebody else, can I be your friend? And then somebody said, no, I don't want you to be my friend. And then somebody said, you, you, you've just blocked me. Well, I'm not on Facebook. I, I only know about Twitter. Which, which suits me fine. I can just about, just about master Twitter in a roundabout way. I couldn't master Facebook because some people, it, it takes over their entire life. It's like having Blackberries. You see kids now with a phone and with a Blackberry. But what you have to do is decide who you can trust. 
and the majority of you, count them up on one hand, how many actual friends you've got. I don't mean family, because family aren't necessarily friends, but close friends, and you'll probably find you might have two or three. I mean, I can think, in my case, of, I think, five people. Five people who know everything about me. Completely. You know, there's nothing that they don't know. You sometimes wish you'd never told people half the stuff. But but that's... Count how many friends you've got. So all these friends that you've got on Facebook and everything, you don't really have them. They're not really friends. They're what they call fair-weather friends. It's like I've got over a 1,000 numbers in my phone of people that I know. And yet, if I actually go through the phone book... That I, I don't actually know all these people. I suddenly realised, actually. I, I do know these people, but I don't speak to them all the time. I'm looking at Holly's phone number in here. Well, I mean, you know, we, we don't exactly phone each other. We go, hi, Holly, because I see her in the morning. So it would be a bit pointless. I mean, I, I can phone up and say, you know, how did your mum's fireworks go? And she'll say, somebody turned up at the door at quarter to eight, complaining about the noise from the fireworks, because... And he had to be of limited uh, intelligence. I mean, it would have to be. He said he had a, a puppy and, and a baby. So for the past week, it must have been a nightmare. We've had Eid, we've had November the 5th, they all started on the Thursday and the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he goes, I'm going to call the council. Well, you could have called the council, because at quarter to eight, they're not going to say anything at all. If it was two in the morning, then you can complain about something, fireworks going up, and then you call the police. But, you know, nobody's going to be sitting in the noise abatement bit of the council going, we'll just nip out there and see if we can sort that one out for you, because it's quarter to eight at night. And quarter to eight means you can let fireworks off. In fact, you could go out there and bang a drum, I suppose, if you wanted to. A little bit pointless in the weather we've been having of late. But you're probably thinking about Christmas, aren't you? Many of you are thinking about... Many of you are now saying, I wish you wouldn't talk about Christmas, it's a bit early. But you have to plan these things. And this year, the must-have item is a paper Christmas tree. A lot of people are shunning the green trees of old. And to be honest with you, you cannot beat the smell of, of a proper cut Christmas tree. It does smell lovely. Kids like it. Lights look pretty on a tree because it, was, it seems designed for it. But I remember one year, and I'd completely forgotten, that trees, when you cut them, they're like a bunch of flowers. You've got to put them in water. And they drink about a pint a day. It will suck it up through the bottom. So you buy all these... It's no good just buying a, a Christmas tree stand and stick it in there. Now, I did that one year. I stuck the Christmas tree in there with my central heating. On the first day I came back, and I had a green carpet. Tumble twist. It was quite attractive. 80-20, wool and nylon. And, um, heavy domestic... And, I, and, and there were a few sort of needles, and so I sort of hoovered them up. But because it was a twist pile, it was a bit difficult, so I didn't do that. But, but by the end of the first day, there's a few more needles. And by the following morning, I had a twig in a pot. There was no needles on it whatsoever. And, and I'd hoovered these things up. So I sat there looking at it, thinking, it doesn't... It, it really looks as though I haven't afforded a tree this year. So I went out and I bought a blue spruce. And a blue spruce was exactly what it said on the tin. It was blue and it was spruce, and it didn't drop needles. And it was absolutely... In fact, the thing you couldn't kill... You had to cut it up because the dustman wasn't going to take it. Now, luckily, round our way, the dustman take these things. But the latest tree is from John Lewis, and it's made of paper. And a lot of people bought it. And it, it's sort of, it does look like a giant twig. And it's got little LED lights woven into it. So they've, they've put them along the branches, and they've wound the paper round. It's £85, uh, 238% up on this time last year. And it's 85 it's paper, and it's £85. I mean, I, I can't believe the price of it either. And so people are moving away from the pine needle. Last year, I think John Lewis sold an upside-down Christmas tree. I know it featured in the Tate Gallery, and they went, oh, look, an upside-down Christmas tree, and I just thought, how stupid, because it just looked ridiculous. But apparently people were buying it because people buy into a fad. People buy in to something that they've seen on the television or they've seen in the newspapers. So they bought an upside... I didn't personally know anybody 
who bought an upside-down Christmas tree. But I remember looking at the paper tree. I didn't realise it was paper. And I remember thinking, that's quite attractive. Uh, but not for £85. <laughs> £85, I think, is a lot of money. Although this year, trees are probably going to be a little bit more expensive because of the weather. There'll always be a situation whereby they will say, well, the trees have gone up because of... It's like, I really think I should start stockpiling satsumas. I don't want to get to Christmas and start running out of satsumas or nuts. Not that we ever eat nuts or dates. We just have them sitting on the sideboard, just in case anybody wants them. But we do have the tin of Quality Street, because that's always quite exciting. Karen says, my son Josh had an eye operation when he was four. He's ten now, and he still remembers the lovely toast he had there. Any follow-up appointments he had afterwards, he always wanted toast when we got there. Love him. That's nice, isn't it? Wilma says, just learning to podcast, but listening to you all weekend. Keep up the sterling work. I urge everybody to podcast. It's only because it's so cheap from as little as £2 a month. You can download everything on LBC. Everything. And so when you go away on holiday, you can take them, sit on the plane. You don't have to sort of watch the dreary in-flight movies or, or listen to the radio programmes that people have pre-recorded five years ago. I know, because I'm still on one of them, doing a children's programme, pretending I'm under the seat... I did it about 15 years ago, and it's still running. I can't believe it. I must be mad as a brush. They said to me, said, would you like to do this children's programme? Well, that's a good idea. And, you know, all these years later, it's still running. Steve Allen and the Mr Men. I ask you, hello, children, I'm under your seat. No, I wasn't. I was in Wardour Street. That's ruined it for everybody. Uh, Jan says, talking about operations and being ill afterwards, I had an operation some years ago on my neck. The doctor put these metal clips in. I looked like the Bride of Frankenstein. Anyway, kept being sick and uh, held my throat as I was uh, chucking up, I'm afraid. My then eight-year-old son asked why I didn't take the clips out and be sick through my neck. Nice. Yes, actually, I think I've got a bad neck at the moment. I don't know what it is. It's probably whiplash or something from sort of turning around very quickly in the seat in the studio. Because it, it just, it feels, perhaps I've slept wrong. But I've had it for a, a few months now. Uh, there's a lovely feature today in the uh, the Daily Mail. All too late to talk about smoking Joe Frazier, so you'll probably get that tomorrow in the papers or tonight in the Standard, talking about the uh, the most bizarre and beautiful follies that we've got in this country. Follies where, where people build something and you go, oh, that's nice. It's like in, in Yorkshire there is a house and uh, the man who owned it didn't really want to see anybody. He wasn't, he wasn't keen on bumping into estate workers, so he built a series of tunnels under the house which led to the edge of the property, but they're big enough to take a horse and carriage down there. And so he would go through the tunnels and then emerge at the end of his uh, property. And down, actually not too far from, from me, there is a lovely house, and uh, this one is called Wickley Park in Surrey. The one thing that this has got, which no other houses have got, is an underwater ballroom. He built an underwater ballroom, and uh, it's all covered in algae and they have to clean it off every so often but he liked the idea of painting in there while the water was over the top you go down a long tunnel and uh, I remember seeing early pictures of it before they opened it up and I think now you can actually go and see it it was the fantasy of a man called Whittaker Wright and it's it's a gothic fantasy the whole house but the underwater ballroom makes it slightly more interesting talking of interesting coming up at auction is uh, I mean this is a who's going to buy this I've got no idea it is a it is a teddy boy suit the teddy boy suit Belong, belong to the late Sex Pistol, Sid Vicious. This is the one he wore during the inquest into the murder of his American girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, whom, it is assumed, he stabbed to death. Uh, he died of a, of a heroin overdose before he could stand trial. And the suit is accompanied by a note from his mother, Anne Beverly, which reads, read, I hadn't seen Sid in a suit for a few years, and despite the sadness, I couldn't help thinking as he walked towards us how very imposing he looked. 
so they're selling it. They reckon it could fetch between ten and fifteen thousand pounds. Grief. I went down to uh, with a friend of mine who was interviewing Sid Vicious in the early days of the Sex Pistols. There's one thing you won't be hearing on In Conversation. It was totally unrepeatable, the whole interview. More after the news, which is next on LBC 97.3. On FM, online and digital radio. Morning, everybody. Coming up to nine minutes past six. Tuesday morning in London town. It's November the 8th, 2011. Remembrance Sunday, this coming Sunday. The news you're waking up to this morning, as you've heard already, uh, Michael Jackson's doctor, Conrad Murray, been found guilty and will be sentenced in around four weeks' time. He's being held in custody until then. He could get up to four years. Doesn't really seem very much in America, does it? But uh, he was uh, led off in handcuffs. Also, smoking Joe Frazier has lost his battle against liver cancer, and uh, he died this morning in America. More on that later. The other thing that people were talking about in the, uh, in the papers this morning is uh, the world football boss, Sepp Blatter, who's coldly ignored England's pleas to be allowed to wear remembrance poppies for a friendly. Uh, the slippery Swiss FIFA chief ducked questions on the row, saying, I am not involved. And then uh, then he changed the subject and tried to talk up 2011. I mean, to be honest with you, why don't the players just put the poppy on anyway? It isn't, it isn't religious. It's not political. It's, it's, a, it's a personal symbol. So it doesn't breach any rules of FIFA or anything else that we can, we can find at the moment. I mean, it is right that the England players should wear it. I'm delighted to say that after yesterday... We, uh, we poured scorn on some of the poppies which are turning up on the television, bejeweled with what look like Shirovsky crystals and things like that. It's not the kind of thing you should be wearing, and uh, any people wearing them should just take them off and put proper poppies on. The proper poppies as made by the Royal British Legion. We don't want any of this glorification or flashing lights on a poppy or something like that. We really don't. Just the simple poppy is exactly what you should be wearing, and if you don't have one, get one today. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Actually, as we were still having fireworks yesterday, and as Holly's mum discovered, there's still people who get angry about fireworks because they've got a puppy. And you think, well, I mean, you know, just cars backfiring is enough to put people off nowadays. Just having a puppy is rather silly to complain about fireworks at quarter to eight. Uh, as I said before, when they, when they go on till about three o'clock in the morning, then you can understand how people could get angry. You know, I get angry with people sort of shouting and jeering and all that kind of stuff. And that's coming in here. The amount of noise that there is outside here in the early hours of the morning. It's quieter. You don't need to shout to people. But when they've all had a few drinks, people like to become a little bit uh, leery. How affected are you by sliced bread? I only ask because sliced bread marked fresh is already a day old after it's been taken out of the bakery. Apparently, uh, you know, most bakers inside the the, uh, the supermarkets don't bake their own bread. What they do is either reheat or they have pre-prepared dough. So you see them doing it. And some supermarkets, as you know, we discussed over the years, the amount of people who have f- different smells pumped into the supermarket so that you go, mm, oh, I'll get some fresh bread. And so you buy the French stick and then you start tearing bits off as you're going around eating it. it it's, it's like selling a house. If you're selling a house, the smell of fresh bread makes your house feel warm and cosy. It's like having the smell of fresh coffee. Roasting, coffee roasting, is a great smell. So you walk into Starbucks or wherever it happens to be or Costa Coffee, and if you can smell coffee, you think, mm, that's really lovely. Although why it makes a difference in Starbucks to have a red cup, I've got no idea. They make a big thing about, it's a red cup. I went in there the other day and said, it's a red cup, Steve. I went, it's a cup. It's putting the coffee in a cup. But now, one retailer is promising to get the family favourite from oven to shelf in five hours. 
They're going to, in the supermarket, actually make their own dough. Because they've got a lot of people standing there and shit. But all they're doing is reheating the stuff and they take it out. And for some reason, the Brits have got this thing about hot bread. You know, if you actually touch the French stick and it's hot, you go, it's been freshly baked. And so you take it, but by the time you've queued up and you've paid for the thing, it's gone stone cold. But the fact, when you touched it, first of all, it's fresh bread. This has just come out of the oven. I'm a very lucky person. I've got fresh bread. And then you take it, and I'm going to have a piece of this fresh bread. And so you take a piece, and it tastes delicious. And then they started selling in the supermarkets this bread that came in a piece of plastic that you took out, and it was par-baked. I think they called it parbe. And you put it in the oven and you made your own fresh bread. So all of a sudden, I am now a baker. I can now do my own bread and rolls. I am now a special person. And there's something about putting butter on fresh, crusty bread and then dunking it in a bowl of tomato soup. There's something pleasing. Or putting some cheese in there and some pickle and having hot, fresh bread with butter and cheese and pickle. And the next thing is going to the doctor and discovering you're diabetic. And, uh, and that's when the whole thing starts going terribly wrong, I'm afraid. There's uh, all sorts of stories in the papers today about Carlos the Jackal. I'm fascinated by Carlos the Jackal. I'm fascinated by the way he looks now. He's serving life for the 75 murders of uh, two French spies and an informer. And uh, his supporters cheered him from the public gallery because he's, uh, he's now up on trial for four deadly attacks in France. They brought, and he's got supporters who cheer and clap him and everything else. It was all, all a little bit worrying, I'm afraid. But, uh, but the good news is that a lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci goes on show tomorrow after experts have pieced together a string of clues to confirm it is the artist's own work. This is the uh, Salvatore Mundi, now valued at £126 million. Wouldn't it have been lovely if you could have said to Leonardo da Vinci, listen, in a few years' time quite a few years, your pictures are going to be worth a lot of money. And he'll go, I don't think so. 126 million, because people have now uh, worked out that it is a genuine da Vinci. Who's got that kind of money? Answer, loads of people. Loads of people. In Shanghai alone, there are 7,000 billionaires. Think on that. LBC 97.3 Morning, everybody. We're coming to you live from Leicester Square. It's LBC 97.3. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Weather today, cloudy, dull, occasional drizzle, heavier bursts of rain, especially to the south of London. High today, 11 degrees. It was definitely yesterday colder. It was You could definitely feel a little bit of a chill in the air. Tonight, cloudy and damp. Further bursts of rain overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy again. And the three-day forecast is uh, dry with a mixture of cloudy, bright spells, my high 16 degrees. Friday, clouding over with light brain, 15 degrees. And Saturday, good chance of sunshine should stay dry. So that's good news. And I've tried to think, I'm doing something on Saturday. What the dickens am I doing Saturday? I'm doing something Saturday at the back of my... I think I should be like the, uh, the Sarah, Sarah Ferguson character who writes things on post-it notes. Because half the time I can't remember one day to the next what I'm supposed to be doing. And, uh, and Paul Cooper says, we'll make sure we have all your Christmas faves. And you did make us laugh about Joe F being comfortable and then finding out that he died. I know, Joe Frazier. I mean, how ironic was that? If you missed the part of the pro, you'll hear it this morning, where I'm reading out from the paper that Muhammad Ali has wished Joe Frazier all the best, and I said, well, he's being made comfortable in a hospice. And then as I'm saying that, Holly says through my ear, he's just died. And it's, it's the first time anything like that's happened. I have lost people on the programme before. I remember when Presley died. I remember when Marvin Gaye was shot by his father. You remember all these things, don't you? Where you were when a particular event happened. Uh, where you were when Michael Jackson died. And I remember getting a phone call from one of my bosses saying, Michael Jackson's died. 
you will be a little bit reverent tomorrow morning, won't you, about him? I said, listen, huge Michael Jackson. I'd love to have talked to Michael Jackson. I would have... I talked to um, Diana Ross, and I've talked to quite a few Motown stars, but, I mean, the idea of being able to sit down with Michael Jackson, have a one-to-one, not possible now, of course, but I'd have loved to have done that. Actually, Paul, the... uh, the, uh, the turning on of the Christmas lights in Twickenham looks very promising. We've got the Nella Hall band. Fantastic band. Just check out Nella Hall on the internet and it'll be worth coming along just for that. And we talked the other day about hospital blunders, whether all these problems in hospitals of people being sewn up with instruments still inside them. How you do that when there's eight or nine people in an operating theatre? When I had my operation, I think there was something like eight people. And when you're lying there, not looking your best, with your legs in stirrups and stuff like that, that. And somebody goes, thought I recognised your voice. You think, it doesn't get any worse than this. It really doesn't. But there's a lady called Pat Young, who's in Tunbridge, and she had a hospital blunder a few years ago. She's been left disabled by it. But uh, she celebrates a birthday today, and she's a big LBC fan. And so, uh, from Tom and uh, Sheldon and Natalie, have a very happy day, and from all of us here as well. Hope you have a very, very happy birthday. Uh, The good news is, I'm a celebrity is back. The bad news is, they've said it's pensioner special. So they put in Willie Carson, who is 68, Queen Mother's favourite jockey. Lorraine Chase is 60. She's been on In Conversation recently. Freddie Starr is 68. I predict there's going to be fireworks there. And the fabulous Stephanie Powers, who, believe it or not, is just coming up to 70. Well, we talked to Stephanie Powers for In Conversation. I mean, if she's coming up to 70, I hope I look that good. I mean, I don't, I don't want to look exactly the same. You know, I'd quite like to sort of keep my, my, my manly figure. Plus, they're going to put in the real hustles, Jessica Jane Clement, and, uh, and also uh, Mark Wright, who will prove, I suppose, in there that he's as boring in as out. Anthony Cotton, who's very out, will be in there as well. And uh, they say McFly's bassist, Dougie Pointer. And, uh, and that's, uh, they also say that uh, Sunita could go in and Chrissy Rock. So it's obviously a, a cast of hundreds all going out there. But I don't see a problem with, with, the, uh, with the slightly older people going in. Might have some decent conversations. And I suppose the only people who'll be trying desperately will be people like Mark Wright, trying to make a name for himself. But what he should have done is, is looked very carefully at the amount of people going in there and the fact that they're going to overshadow him. So he will come over not as well as he could do as, as if he was on his own home turf. Uh, John in Putney says, four friends, and it's all I need. We were talking about how many friends you've got. You might have on Facebook hundreds of people, and you might have on Twitter thousands of people. They're not friends. They're just people you know. Go through your, your phone book. Are all these people friends? No. They're just, you, you say, I, I say, say to Holly, Holly, give me your phone number. That doesn't mean I'm going to phone her up, you know, say, hey, Holly, want to do the pub tonight? You know, it's not going to happen. I have to have her number in case, you know, she's coming onto the show to do the show and, I'd, and she's not here or I can phone her and say, listen, I'm running late. I'm still in makeup and hair, looking for both. And, and then sort of come in. So it doesn't always work like that. Martina says, no, no, please don't talk about Christmas. I start talking about Christmas in September. If anyone should, it's you. You describe it so... Oh, she says, please do talk about Christmas. She says, if anybody should talk about it, it's you. I want to cut the tree in my garden and bring it in right now. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I mean, I'm, I know it's funny, and I can only describe to you, as, a, as an adult, nearly fully grown, uh, Christmas time for me was great, because we spent a lot of it in Yorkshire, where it was cold. Cold, nothing was as cold as Norway, but it was cold. And I can remember tramping home from school in your shoes, which were covered in snow, and you'd go down the lane and the only light, because there was no street lighting, not where we were. I don't think electricity had moved in. We just had the moonlight, and you'd come home from school and it would be dark. And it was, I just have this image of this, this little figure trudging along 
And, and, and that was me, I'm afraid. Talking about Christmas trees, says Jan, I read something about you can rent a Christmas tree. Yes, you pay a rental fee, it arrives nicely sitting in a pot which you water. You then enjoy the pleasure of a lovely smelling tree over the crisp period, then you give it back. Yes, I mean, to be honest with you, that you can do that yourself. You just buy a pot which you fill with water every day. There are companies who come round and they will bring trees in and decorate them. There's a guy who lives on Richmond Green and he always has the most beautiful Victorian Christmas tree in his window and it fills the whole window. And it's just, if, if, if you've got kids, you would just sit there and want to stare at it. We used to put angel hair over our tree, which I think was tantamount to something that gave you itching. It was like sort of itching powder. And as the light shone through it, that, that was magical as, as kids. Lynn says, my job on Christmas Eve was to queue up outside the local baker and buy the fresh bread for Christmas. The hot seedy bloomer and split tin loaves smelt so delicious they were too hard to resist. I know. I've only got to walk past the bakery in, in, in Twickenham to go, oh, something about bread in baskets. It really is terrible, really. Steve down there was up at the crack. He's up even before I am in the morning and putting all the bread in tins and everything in. It's just wonderful. Uh, en route to Stansted, says David, off to Oslo for the day. Can you tell all the M1 drivers or M11 drivers to slow down, wet and slippery? If only. Somebody wrote into one of the papers today talking about that dreadful accident on the M5 where 31 people lost... Sorry, 7 people lost their lives, 31 people were injured, uh, saying that the government really should not increase the speed limit. Well, uh, and I said yesterday, that's not going to make any difference at all. Even if the speed limit was 40 miles an hour, people still exceed it. There's always going to be accidents. Every day there are accidents on the motorway. Every single day people lose their lives. Speak, speak to the motorway services, they will tell you. All right, to lose seven people is, is absolutely terrible. But every day, seven people will lose their lives on the motorway in separate incidents for the simple reason that people go too fast, they're driving too close to the far, car in front, and many people are driving cars that they've, they've never actually taken a test in. You learn to drive in one car, and then you go out and you go, I'm going to buy a really big, powerful car. And you suddenly realise that it's different. I've, my, my, my car's very powerful, but I'm a very good driver. I'm not an advanced driver, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I'm actually quite good. People tend to want to race me on the motorway. And I, I have done it. I have fallen for it a couple of times. <laughs> but I don't do it now because I, I, I watch the petrol disappearing. Uh, Stevie says, he's in uh, Rosslyn, too true what you say about Facebook. We've had to block it out of our office to stop people wasting time sending stupid messages instead of working. Uh, "'Tis no more than addiction, to which I'm glad to say I'm immune. I know who my true friends are, and I don't leave a virtual social life. Nice show. Christine in Bristol has bought a metal poppy from the collecting tin at my mother's nursing home. I love it, and I love your programme. And uh, for some reason, Sarah in Barnet got a knitted poppy. I've never heard of a knitted poppy from a poppy seller made by a lady for the Legion. They're lovely, and all the funds go to the Legion. Listen, if the funds go to the Legion, that's, that's me sorted. And um, Virginia says those glittery and glitzy Shirovsky poppies, poppies on TV should all be made to have uh, been raffled off in aid of the RBL or Help for Heroes. That will at least be useful. Well, some people are selling them on eBay and they're not passing the money on. And that's, that's the problem, that only buy, really, from the Royal British Legion. That's where the money is needed. And they want to raise £40 million this year. And, uh, and with your help and everybody else's help, you know, don't buy the glittery poppies. Buy a proper poppy. Give a pound. Give two pounds. Give whatever you can. And that way it goes to the right people, which is how it should be. It's LBC 97.3, Tuesday morning. The time now, 6.30. Morning, everybody. 25 minutes to 7. Tuesday morning, it's cold. It's definitely getting colder. It might be a, might be a vest on, I think, tomorrow. Uh, thank you to Chris. 
uh, sending me in the, fe- uh, the features about uh, Lapland starting to look its seasonal best, because very shortly all the kids will start going out there to go and visit Father Christmas and his spiritual home. And it is one of the most beautiful places. I mean, we, we, we've been to some beautiful places, but I promise you, Lapland, we went with Canterbury Travel and we went to Kittler. Well, we went to Luosto, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And this time of year, the snow is down, they've got reindeer, they do everything. I think we were only there for four days. I promise you, at the end of it, you come back exhausted, <laughs> because there's no, there's no proper daylight. It's sort of, it's, it's dark. Not pitch darkness, but it's this sort of semi-light. But it was, it was just beautiful, I cannot tell you. But cold. Nothing but nothing will prepare you for the cold. Bad enough when we cut down the Christmas tree. Pictures on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Uh, thank you to Anne Jones. Uh, she has the Cooperative Funeral Care in West Wickham High Street, and she has lots of people going in there to buy their uh, poppies. Some people, of course, going in and not coming back out again. But uh, she says, on Saturday, I will be dressing up in red and black with one of those big poppies from the window on my lapel, hopefully selling more poppies, all for a fantastic cause. So thank you very much indeed for that. Some nice pictures. And uh, it, it is, what, as you know, one of my highlights uh, has been going to the Remembrance Service at the Royal Albert Hall. I'm not going this year. Uh, I'm probably going to go uh, to another one with Pete from Hamwell, so I'll probably go and do that one on Sunday, which will be um, at their local memorial. But, I, uh, the, but the one at the Royal Albert Hall is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's the most... I, I cannot describe to you this huge feeling of, uh, of patriotism. It's wonderful. Uh, Bob says, the, the poppy is political, I'm afraid. It's about war. No, it's not. It's, it's not. it's not political at all. It, not under the FIFA rules, it's not. It really isn't, and it's it's there to commemorate the people who who died. Those fields of of poppies there, you know, it might be about war, but it's it's about the people who lost their lives, and that's what you're commemorating, and that's why we should always remember. Uh, Toby, who's a field officer in the brigade waiting, is listening in New York on his BlackBerry. See, people listen around the world. You can listen all over the place to LBC, and uh, and Jan says. Uh, I thought it was going to be another Steve Allen surge last night, as we were told to expect up to 2,000 people. 300 turned up. Absolutely nobody can beat you. And she says, I'm not pleased. You're doing the show on my first day of Panto, so I can't attend. <laughs> she says, Declan's a bit tasty, isn't he? I don't know. Yeah, we did have. We, we, we had, uh, I think we, we, we hold the record down at the Queen's Theatre for the fastest-selling show down there. We loved it. It's one of the fir- first places we did. One of the first places. Stephen Bridlington says, uh, read in yesterday's uh, paper that Frank Lampard and the squad are thinking about ignoring FIFA's ban on the poppy. Let's hope they stand by their words. It'll be interesting to see if they do, won't it? But the, the news that you know, I came into and I saw on the television was that Michael Jackson's physician has been found guilty, convicted of the involuntary manslaughter of the star, faces up to four years in prison. The jury of seven men and five women took eight and a half hours to reach a unanimous verdict, which means that they were toing and froing backwards and forwards until they eventually got a unanimous verdict. Uh, and the ruling was that the doctor gave the King of Pop a fatal overdose of the anaesthetic propofol. Murray, who could also lose his medical licence, was stony-faced as the verdict was read out. And after that, LBC 97.3's Anthony Davis spoke to Joe Kwan, a reporter with KABC in Los Angeles, who was outside the court. All these fans have gathered out here. You know, there were support. So they're saying, appeal this and find the real murderer. 
LBC 97.3's Anthony Davis speaking uh, to Joe Kwan, a reporter with KABC in Los Angeles, uh, outside. Because it, I think we, we discussed overnight in LBC 97.3 that it wouldn't actually have been physically possible for Michael Jackson to inject himself because he would start injecting and then he would, he would have been asleep within a, a matter of seconds. It's a fairly powerful anaesthetic and to actually be allowed to have it in the house without supervision by a doctor seems nothing short of crass as far as I'm concerned. But uh, in America, you can get all sorts of things. What will happen to him now remains to be seen. It will probably be a custodial sentence. Um, I didn't think that the verdict was that quick. The the, the papers have said a quick manslaughter verdict. Eight and a half hours it took them to be unanimous, which means that they must have deliberated backwards and forwards. But there was nobody else on trial. There was nobody else that they could have spoken to about it because the man concerned died as a result. And so you only had the doctor who at £96,000 a month was on a retainer by Michael Jackson. Unusual in America, where a lot of celebrities, if they're addicted to particular prescription drugs, will go to various doctors, so there might be two or three. I think Elvis Presley had about three doctors who, uh, who used to get all his prescriptions. So when he died, I mean, he had a bathroom full of the stuff. Absolute bathroom. I and mean, goodness only knows, it looked bad enough with, with Michael Jackson. So I wonder what, what you think would be uh, a suitable punishment... I mean, unfortunately, we don't have Michael Jackson. You talk to the uh, the Jackson family, and, of course, they weren't there a lot of the time. You know, they understand what went on, but Michael Jackson was, was very much his own person. He didn't hang around with the family. He, uh, he was fairly critical of his father, who it was said was, uh, was a bully much of the time when they were younger, but it made them work. Even Jermaine Jackson told me that uh, his, his father was bullying them. He said, but that's how we were disciplined. That's how it worked in those days. You wanted to be successful... You won't find a more successful group than the Jackson Five. Ironically, it was Michael Jackson who was the one who emerged as, uh, as, as the one who everybody wanted to see. It didn't matter about the Jackson Five, but they've all, they've all made a load of money since Michael Jackson's passing. Make no mistake, there's been lots of money handed around for interviews and, and endorsements of various things, and some members of the family were critical of the, the big Cardiff uh, celebration of Michael's life. But he did leave a legacy, and I did buy the DVD, and I did think that he looked as though he had loads of energy. The fact that people were saying afterwards, and I think Jermaine told me that he was, he was very tired, and had he done all the dates that were scheduled in the diary, he'd have been physically exhausted. Not even sure that he would have made it. If he was on so many prescription drugs, they'd have to bring the things in with him. And whether or not they would have got away with that, I don't know. It, it, it would be very interesting to have found it, but we'll, we'll never know. We will never have the faintest idea what Michael Jackson would have been like had he come over here and done the concerts. What we do have, and the satisfaction I suppose people have now, is that the the doctor's been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. God knows what the trial cost. As in everything in America, these things drag on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, so now he's been found guilty. He's in custody. He was taken out handcuffed yesterday. What would be a fitting punishment, do you think? 84850, steve at And Having told you the line-up... I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. It's another pensioner special, but they're far more entertaining than the younger people. You're going to get far more out of Freddie Starr and Willie Carson and Lorraine Chase and people like that than you are out of uh, silly little Mark Wright from The Only Wears Essex, who hasn't done anything. He's just he's going to have to explain to these people who he is because they won't know, because they're probably not watching it. Although it'll be quite interesting. They, they've also put a piece of totty in there for him, because apparently he, he only sort of talks to Totty, but his, his level of conversation is fairly low, I have to tell you. So, uh, any thoughts on that? 84850-stevenlbc.co.uk This is LBC Night... Morning, everybody. Nick and the team with you after the news at 7. It's 10 to 7 now. Theresa May, the Home Secretary, has admitted... 
that she hasn't got the faintest idea how many illegal aliens entered the UK under relaxed passport rules. Not a clue. The estimate was something like 100,000 the other day. Now they're not at all sure. They've only got very limited information. It's an absolute scandal and a disgrace. And I think more people have signed an online uh, protest now, which I think is going to prompt calls uh, in Parliament to actually put a curb on the amount of people coming to the country. We're now getting to the stage where we're just a fraction overcrowded. You know, I mean, you can, I mean just in London, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the country, but you can't move anywhere. It is absolutely too, too... It isn't until you go abroad you suddenly realise what the word walking down the street means. I mean, here, it, it's, it's quite an expedition to actually get from one place to the other. Esther Ranson is talking that uh, in, in the Telegraph today that old people need to get web-wise need to listen to this station more, Esther, because uh, all the people who listen to this station, uh, some of the silver surfers are very, very savvy about it. And she thinks that there should be a minister, a Home Office minister, for older people. I don't know what older people she's bumping into. This is a woman who's as rich as creases. In fact, she's so rich she was too embarrassed to put her own house on the television when they did the cash in the attic, lest you all go, she lives in that? So she did it in a friend's house instead. It's the first time I've ever seen it done. It's a bit like doing the Come Dine With Me programme using somebody else's uh, house. But she hasn't got the faintest idea uh, how many people uh, get web-wise savvy. But it's, it's a lot easier than you think now. There's so much information. And she says that if a lot of elderly people did their banking online, it would save them having to go out and get cold. I think, actually, to be honest with you, it, it goes back to the old Sunday shopping argument, doesn't it? People like going shopping on a Sunday, and we've now done it as an acceptable part of British culture. We go shopping on a Sunday. In fact, to be honest with you, I can't understand why the shops don't open till 11. It, nothing that infuriates me more than walking into a department store like Selfridges, where you can browse, but you can't buy. What's the point of browsing? Who does browsing now? You go out to a department store and you think, I want to buy a kettle. OK, I've seen it. Can I buy it? No, you, you can browse for another 45 minutes. In the end, I've put the thing back and I've, I've got... Because I, I don't want to hang around for that amount of time. And they go, and we are closing at four. Why can't we just have normal opening on a Sunday? There used to be the big argument years ago about keeping the Sunday special because apparently people wanted to be with their families. Well, there's lots of elderly people who don't have families. Lots of young people sit there. They, why, why do we have to wait till 11 o'clock to go shopping? I think we should have 24-hour shopping in parts of America they've got it. Why can't we have it here? You know, they go, oh, of course, there's a lot of workers going to be exploited. Only if they want to work. If they don't want to work, don't work. You're always going to find somebody who wants to work, believe you me, over the Christmas period. I'm always one of those who Christmas works. But I know lots of people go, no, I want to take Christmas off this year. And I go, well, it's fine. You know, I, I can do the job and then I can go off and celebrate Christmas. Probably go and buy some nativity stamps because they're now on sale. This year's stamps have been unveiled by the Royal Mail. The seven nativity stamps come as two billion items are expected to be posted within the festive season. And very shortly I'll be giving you the last postage dates if you're sending your Christmas cards abroad and things like that. I think for second-class mail, it's December the 17th, and December the 20th for first class, and December 22nd for special deliveries. So the, the stamps look lovely, actually, inspired by the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Nice to have something traditional for a change. So too often we have uh, we have stamps which have nothing at all to do with Christmas. I like anything like that. We've had some really good ones over the years. My neighbour Lynn collects all the stamps, and she has them sent to her. For what reason? I don't know. I collected them a few years ago, so I've got a whole book full of these things, which I've not actually put in there. Uh, and in the papers today, Kim Marsh is... Uh, you remember she lost her, uh, her son Archie two years ago. She's uh, told the uh, newspaper today that she keeps his ashes by the bed in, in a box... I mean, I suppose whatever floats your boat, if, if that's the thing that makes her happy, that's fine. 
And uh, so they say that now, now they've got baby Polly, they can see bits of Archie in Polly as well. But uh, a lot of people, I think, do stuff like that, don't they? They like to keep somebody's ashes near them because it makes them feel a lot uh, closer. Uh, if you're not doing Christmas for us, I'm cancelling mine, says Blanche. Uh, and Jan says, I agree, it's getting colder. I think it's time to take the 4.5 TOG duvet off and put the 10.5 on. Do you know, I have no idea what TOGs mean in, sense of, in, in, in the sense of a duvet cover. I've got two duvets, but I only I, I sort of just send them off to be cleaned by Thomas every so often. I don't, I don't think about what TOG it is. I know you're supposed to have a winter one and a summer one, but between you, me and the gatepost, I haven't got the faintest idea, which is I just put, put the duvet in a cover and I pull it over me. And I always seem to be nice and warm as toast. Just wish the bed was longer. I'm at that stage now, I'm afraid, where, you know, you're sort of, your feet are touching the bottom of the bed. And so you sort of you move the pillow up a little bit. And you could just, uh, just about manage to do it. Uh, Lord Mayor's show on uh, Saturday. We're off to Bruges from Southampton. Say Neil in the rain, which is good. Uh, and Tom says, on the M11 yesterday, not good visibility. Still some drivers, no lights. I see people driving in the early hours of the morning as we're coming into town. I see people driving with no lights. I think, how do you drive with no lights? How is it... I mean, because your dashboard doesn't light up, does it? Would you not see it? I've seen people who are so drunk that they wouldn't know. And over the Christmas period, I suspect we're going to have the usual bunch of no-hopers out there who are going to be risking drinking and driving. Because very shortly, you won't be able to bring your car into town. So you'll have to leave it at at a station. And you'll come into town, you'll get drunk, you think that you're fine, you get back in the car and the local police will be going, gotcha. And that's why it's, it's, it's going to be especially bad this year. You must be extremely careful. Uh, Richard says, how do you find a jury of people who've never heard of Michael Jackson? The real crime is that the jury will eventually be allowed to sell their story. Uh, as your fellow presenter Ian Dale said last night, would never happen. It is outrageous and it, and it will go on. It, it, I mean, it, it will happen. And uh, Jonathan... He says, Hope so. I know that you represent Mark Wright. I Oh, you've got two. Oh, no, he's got Mylene Class, and he says, I've also got Amy Nuttall from Downton Abbey. He says, you'd be surprised at how likeable and how much depth Mark Wright has. He's a trained act. Stop it, Jonathan. I shall come round and slap the back of your legs for that one. Uh, destined for big things. I don't know. I don't know. I know they got a BAFTA, but, I mean, we all cringed at that, didn't we? I mean, I, I did cringe, I'm afraid, at that one. I understand how clients work. In fact, actually, I knew that you'd got him long before it was announced. Ha-ha! So now you know. He says, always enjoy your show from my cross-trainer early in the morning. <laughs> You're not still doing the training, are you, Jonathan? God, dear. I tell you, I would like that, actually. I would like to have a trainer first. It'll never happen. It'll never happen that I can get up early in the morning. I'm, I'm very envious of anybody who can do it. To be honest with you, you can't beat peanut butter on toast and a cup of tea first thing in the morning. Nice to hear from you, Jonathan. Nice to know that you're always there. Lots of love, as always, to you. I shall watch with interest, of course, as I always do. And, uh, Steve, very quickly on medical blunder, says Anita, my sister went in hospital for an appendectomy. She had her pre-med, and whilst wheeled in, the nurse, thank God, said, this is the rhinoplasty to a colleague. My sister set them right. Listen, have a great day. Wrap up. It's going to be a bit chilly today. A bit chilly. I'm back with you tomorrow morning between 5 and 7. Don't forget to podcast the programme. Nick and the team with you after 7 on 97.3. Before all of that, it's the business update with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. The FTSE will open after closing down 60.